Welcome to the Machine Ethics Podcast. This month, I'm joined by ethicist Susan Anderson and computer scientist Michael Anderson. While researching for Machine Ethics, I came across the Andersons as their website, machineethics.com, and their book, Machine Ethics, were both top of the list when it came to searching. They literally wrote the book on machine ethics, and it's fantastic to get them on the show this month. We talked about how and how it was terribly designed for ethics, getting started in machine ethics and the lead up to starting that endeavour, thinking about the best way of creating ethics and not relying on everyone's contradictory social stances. Big data isn't necessarily answer to AI ethics. Is ethics even computable? Prima factor duties? Ethics, UI design... AI and AI in the future of humanity. This is probably the best episode so far, so I hope you enjoy. You can also find us on machine-ethics.net or support us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash machine ethics. Thanks very much. When I started talking about machine ethics and the ethics of technology, um, because I was interested in um, new fangled things like IoT and um, blockchain and, and things which were coming in at the time. This was, yeah, three years ago. Um, I was asked to do a talk um, at Digital Shoreditch, which is a festival in London, um, about IoT. And I proposed this thing about security and kind of um, um, surrounding putting connected devices in your homes. Um, so I went and researched it and everything, everyone I talked to um, had much more interesting things to say about um, the social impact, the behavioural impact, the societal impact of these technologies, which is when I started flipping the talk idea from IoT, security, data, to uh, essentially this title, Machine Ethics, and talking about the world of ethics um, to do with technology, and then moving into producing this podcast, which we're listening to now, hopefully. So... Um, that's a bit of background about that. And in doing that research, um, I came across your book. Um, so if you could give us a little bit of background and, and let us know who's on the call, um, that'd be fantastic. Okay. I'm Susan Anderson. Um, I am a professor emerita of philosophy uh, at the University of Connecticut. Mm-hmm. And um, in recent years, I have specialized in applied ethics, taught a number of courses like ethical issues in healthcare, mm. um, as what, and this is what uh, has led to a research project with my husband. Yep. And I'm Michael Anderson. I am a professor of computer science at the University of Hartford. I just recently quit my job. I guess they say they call it retirement, but I don't feel retired. And uh, we've been working together, my wife and I, on uh, this concept of machine ethics since about the turn of the century. Yes. <clears throat> it's been a long time. Yes. And and um, you've obviously got the, the machine ethics book, um, which in its title is kind of, it seems like the, um, the, the coming out of this subject, in my appreciation. It's, it's, it's the start of something, uh, a dialogue um, about quite specifically um, about AI and how we implement um, these systems and, and how that can affect us. Is that fair to say? Yeah. It, what's, what's interesting is that um, when, I, when this all started for us, I, I was looking at uh, a book on 2001 making of, or the making of 2001, and mm. we noticed that HAL 
was uh, terribly designed as far as the ethics were concerned. And so I realized being married to an ethicist and having an AI background that maybe we had something to say about this and it was time to start thinking about it because HAL really wasn't that far away, at least some of its capabilities. Mm. So, I, so I went on the internet to uh, see what kind of work has been done and, and I said, so what do I Google? What, what, what the heck should it be? I mean, how, how do I check to see? And I thought about... Uh, uh, what it could be, and uh, in the back of my mind, I had remembered uh, um, early AI research called uh, machine translation, which which was having to do with translating Russian to English and back, and and somehow that always appealed to me. So I tried machine ethics to see what would happen. Well, I got zero hits sure. <laughs> at the. So it was amazing. And this was like 2003 or maybe even two. I'm not, around yeah. that yeah, time. Yeah. So I was I was aghast that I found nothing, and 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 simultaneously somewhat pleased that it was an open field to begin research in. So we we started to work. Like later on, I discovered I did not coin the term. I I thought I had, but it's I think we probably put it into into popular parlance. Yes. Yep. But there have been there had been I remember Mitch Waldrop was one that came up eventually in 1987. He had mentioned that term briefly in a in an AI magazine article about the machine ethics, but he didn't call it that. He just used that term in in the in the paper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that that work led to the the book, I guess, which is Cambridge Press. Yeah, but actually, there were a number of steps in between. Sure. Michael put together a conference that we organized. I'll let Michael continue with what yeah, all and, that led to. Right. Well, we we got we contacted NSF about it as well, mm-hmm. and they um, seemed to be uh, said, yeah, that though it sounds a bit like science fiction, it does seem mm-hmm. like you you that something should be started on this project. So we got some funding, and we put together the I think it was a, a triple AI triple AI symposium on machine ethics, and I think that was two thousand five, yeah. in which in which many of the pe- people that you hear about uh, Jim Moore and just um, Gorini and uh, um, Summer Bringjord, I mean these these names that that come up frequently, uh, Wendell Wallach, yeah. Colin Allen, that they were all that it all came together at that particular symposium in Washington, D.C. at the time. From that, a uh, uh, special issue, uh, uh, IEEE uh, IEEE Intelligent Systems came out about machine ethics that had those papers revised and published. And then from there, we did some more work, but Cambridge University uh, Press contacted us about uh, turning all that into a book. I think after we had our AI magazine article that, that we had done. Right, we were invited to write right. that, yeah. which was right. nice. And so from there, the book And the Scientific came. American. Yeah, I guess there's a, the, the, I, I'm, I'm getting. <laughs> it's just there's start, it's start, it's starting to you know, um, fumble up in my mind exactly the actual timeline here. But eventually, yeah. Yeah. Cambridge approached us. Well, it was funny. At the time, I thought it was too early for, for this book. Mm. There, were, there was stuff, but it what didn't seem like it was fully baked enough to, to do it. And so we sort of had, we had a back and forth for a while, and then they, they finally convinced us it was worthwhile. Right, and I think right. it was in the long run. Because in my in my mind, it's almost um, kicking off this new um, invigorated. Um, it's at a time, the beginning of the yeah. neural nets and, and deep learning 
um, situation and big data and all these um, buzzwords were coming, starting to come in at that time and people were starting to get hands-on with these things. Um, and now you can't go... Um, and we were talking about startups before. There's there's a startup for everything plus AI now. Yeah, you mean you're just talking about AI in general? That, yes. That, that somehow yeah. uh, uh, there's been a new research. I mean, when I when I was in grad school in the in the early '80s, there was a big resurgence as well that finally fa- failed. I mean, I guess maybe it started a little sooner than that. Yeah. And there was this great AI winter. That's that's when I was actually studying was during the winter, and here it is again, summer. You know? Yeah. But it, yeah, I, yeah. I think. And it's only because it's had this particular um, resurgence of the big data and, and uh, neural net learning has had some pretty interesting success. I think it's one must be wary, though, that um, it's. I don't think it's the panacea that is going to solve all of AI. The, mm. I know one problem in particular that I don't see big data working for. It doesn't work for problems that don't have a lot of data. And that's our problem. We don't have a lot of data when it comes to trying to come up with principles for machines. Yeah, sure. And that comes back to the or, ethics or side Or we again. do, but, yeah. yeah. Or, or we do have data, but it isn't what we want. We're not trying to capture ordinary people's values. And <clears throat> it's important to... <laughs> no, we're... We're not. Okay. We're we're not yeah. because for one thing, you just get a bunch of contradictory stuff. Yes, sure. Um, and I think as we're discovering in our country now, sadly, mm. when you bring everybody in, it sort of sinks to the lowest common denominator, which, uh, from the point of view of an ethicist, is is just not what we think of ethics as being. It's. I just had this thought this morning. I was thinking about big data, and the the that is one of the big um, ethical problems now is mm-hmm. that they notice when you use machine learning on raw data like that that you you get the prejudices and the discriminatory attitudes from of, of humans in, embedded into that into that uh, learned uh, response. Yes. Yeah. And they're trying to find ways to get rid of that. But now, on the other side of the coin, machine ethicists at some level are thinking about doing exactly that, using the big raw data to determine ethics. And it's just a funny dichotomy here where you've got this problem on one side, the other side thinks it's a solution. And I I don't think it is a solution. Bottom line is, I think the the, the best you can do is to cherry pick the the data you're going to have to make sure you don't have those bad quote unquote values. But once you do cherry pick the values, you have decided the values, and it's it's that is just it, it, you can't avoid making those kind of value judgments. And I think we need to make those value judgments at a higher level than raw data from humanity or uh, academic computer scientists, social scientists. I think we need experts who uh, who've been studying the centuries of ethical. Uh, um, um, knowledge of all their lives ethicists yes yeah so from my perspective i think the big problem is that the majority of people who are working on this uh, the ai people in particular have adopted a social science perspective and that is not going to capture ethics that is not going to represent ethics ethics is not a summary of the values that people happen to have but it's the values they ought to have. And there has been a discipline within philosophy for centuries Mm. that has 
studied ethics. And I think there is an expertise that has come from this. And for some reason, AI people do not want to tap into this expertise. So do you think there's, I mean, you're alluding that there might be a correct path for a silver bullet um, or something that we can start using to direct our effort into a more um, worthwhile direction? Is that is that kind of um, what you're trying to say or or you have some research on? That's what ethics, ethicists do. I mean, that is the whole point mm. of ethics. It's, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure why Susan's having me speak right this yeah. moment. You tell him. Tell him, Susan. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but I, I think an important point needs to be made and it's part of the reason why I think people don't turn to ethicists. Yeah. They think that um, if ethicists have the answers, then they should be able to come up with a correct judgment for every possible uh, ethical dilemma yeah. that might arise. Sure. And they start throwing out uh, you know, some, some of the toughest cases, but they're not the sort of things that we want machines involved in doing. So to dismiss uh, ethicists' involvement in this project because they don't have all the answers uh, is to miss the opportunity of harnessing what has been learned in the study of ethics that can be applied to the sort of machines that we do want yep. interacting with human beings. So, and, yeah, and yes, and right, Michael points out, uh, a new perspective that I have been touting that we have uh, that reminds me of the perspective of the ethicist John Rawls in the mm. 20th century, yep. last century now, who said that we should come up with the principles of justice behind what he called a veil of ignorance, where we wouldn't know what our positions would turn out to be in life. Yeah. So we wouldn't tend to favor, you know, what would advance you, our positions. Do you mind just... Um, and so my... I'm yeah. sorry, I, I don't know if everyone would know that um, thought experiment. Would you mind outlining it really quickly? Well, that's basically all it is, is that you um, attempt to decide what the principles of justice should be if you don't know who you're going to be yeah. in society. You're not going to know what sort of talents you have, whether you're going to be rich or poor. And so you probably would want to protect the lowest guy on the totem pole because it could end up being you. Mm -hmm. yeah. So it did lead to um, a very different ethic from the sort of ethics that, that people had been championing when they have tried to advance their own positions. Okay, so I think we have the opportunity with machine ethics to adopt a similar, um, more neutral perspective. And that is, we're trying to think about how we want machines to treat us. Mm. Okay, so not how we want to treat things, but how we want machines to treat us. And I think we're gonna find there's an awful lot of commonality there. We want them to treat us with respect, you know, not harm us. So I, I think that, you know, for people who, who argue that there is no such thing as ethics, and we get told this all the time, huh. that there's just different people. Yeah, it's yeah, shocking. Sure. There's just different people's, you know, ideas of right and wrong, and they're all over the place. I think we're going to find a lot of common ground, at least I hope so. And I think that uh, ethicists c can help to sort this all out.
do you um so um i i totally agree um for sure um i think there's a lot of knowledge there and, and why would we not be using it do you, carrying on from kind of ethics and then using the utility of ethics i guess is um there's a lot of similarly um in this kind of relative 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 yeah relativity Relativistic? Yes. Um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, Tongue-tied. Um, uh, there's also a talk that, you know, ethics or um, moral judgment-making maybe couldn't be computable or is incompatible with programmed right. systems. I was wondering if you could comment on that sort of thing. Uh, okay. So we began exploring the idea of making ethics computable uh, with a well-known ethical theory that has that at its heart, and that is utilitarianism, developed by Jeremy Bentham and John Stuart Mill in the 19th century, where they argued that in any situation, the right action is the action which leads to the is likely to lead to the greatest net good. So subtract subtracting possible harms from goods. Mm. Um, considering all the alternative actions open to you and all of the people who would be affected by those actions. It's a natural place to begin computing ethics. And we actually developed a little program that we called Jeremy where, where we did this in a fairly simplistic way, but just to show that it was possible. But, of course, from an ethicist perspective, utilitarianism is not the ideal ethical theory. It, it misses such things as what people deserve, what is just. Mm. Um, it, it Presumably, if, if it could be done without it being known, it could justify, say, harming one person to take all his organs to save 10 people. So actually killing somebody so that you could save 10 people. And if you imagine they're important 10 people and this could be done secretly, then it would seem that's the right action. But, of course, this is horrifying. Mm -hmm. So we don't think that utilitarianism has captured all of ethics, but it's an important part. I think any reasonable ethic is going to be interested in possible good results and harm that could result. And interestingly, uh, the person who championed the basic perspective that we've adopted— um, W.D. Ross from your country, mm -hmm. uh, yes, he took a, an approach to ethics called the prima facie duty approach. Rather than having a single absolute duty uh, to tell us what is right and wrong, <clears throat> he said the reason why ethics is so complicated is because it involves juggling a number of duties, none of which are absolute. And good that could result, harm that could result, were a couple of his examples yeah. that he thought should be separated. You don't just subtract one from the other. In some situations, the one should be paramount. In other situations, the other one. So um, I have been fascinated by his approach for a long time and taught it in my introductory ethics course for many years. Mm. But the big problem with his prima facie duty approach to ethics is that it doesn't have a decision principle. So if none of the duties are absolute, if there's no hierarchy that you can appeal to to determine the right action, the one highest on the hierarchy yep. is what you go mm -hmm. with, 
how do you decide? And certainly if we're talking about putting ethics into a machine, we have to have a decision principle. So this is where I turned to Michael and said, can you help me with this? <laughs> My students have been, have been unable to come up with a good answer. Do you think AI could somehow help us when there's no uh, hierarchy? So Michael, take it over. <laughs> I, I will in a moment. I think that, yeah. that you, you did a good job of describing how we are actually putting ethics into a computer. But I, I'm not sure you answered Ben's question about relativity, the relativistic can you can you uh, I put you on the spot here? I mean that that was the whole the whole. Well, I think I did initially when I talked about how, from a you know a uh, sociological perspective, yeah. you can certainly argue that different people have different values, different cultures have different values. That's been well known and discussed, um, in, even in the field of ethics. Um, sociological relativism or an individual relativism. But ethics is not, again, about the values that people happen to have, but the values that they ought to have. We have to have to think deeper than that. So I, I think, and most ethicists believe that in an ethical dispute, there is a correct answer. But that doesn't mean that we have all the answers now. It is a field that is constantly developing, Mm -hmm. and we are coming up with more and more answers. At one point, slavery was considered perfectly acceptable. I think um, this Um, leads me on to a a really (laughs) um, good question, um, which you could probably both field, actually, um, with kind of uh, dogmatic systems. So what you're saying there is how um, ethics change and how our culture moves on and things become permissible or or not, as the case may be, um, and right. you were saying, uh, obviously, about slavery, and and um, there's many other examples of this, um, women having the vote uh, in England and, and things like that. Right. Um, yeah. Do you think uh, embedding ethics, um, whether it's utilitarianism or the kind of this maybe tree-structured duty um, system that you were talking about before, or you're saying there was a lack of, you know, structure but the you know duty system um would inherently have a dogmatic issue embedded in it if it was um not updated constantly or or checked in with of course we believe that ethics is evolving and we've always said that if the ethics isn't clear for how a machine should behave in a particular domain we don't want machines out there acting autonomously and making decisions. So that's always been something that we have insisted on, although people aren't always getting that message. Yeah, but (laughs) it should definitely be updatable. And and our system is updatable, which is the interesting thing. We, the answer to Susan's question, can AI help? And I was, yeah, it could because uh, we have this, right? Yep. We got this machine learning stuff here that is just perfect what you're talking about. If you can give me a number of cases in which the, you, you can describe what the ethically correct action is, uh, I can give you a principle that will uh, return true in that particular instance, return false when it, you have the opposite instance, and if I make it general enough, even apply to cases that you haven't given me. So we were right on the uh, – it was perfect after doing the 
the uh, utilitarian version, it was great to have the, a brand new perspective that she had to, to, to move this project forward. And that's where it's been. That's what we've been working on. Uh, creating, we, we started off with a uh, simple system using uh, three duties mm -hmm. in the domain of... Biomedical um, um, you know. ethics, right. because right. I had some background in that. Yes. And, so we, and, so. and the ethics is fairly clear. It's, right. it's resolved, pretty so, much. So we worked on that, but yeah. we did all that by hand, and it was very... It was like a hand-tool hand AI is pretty difficult to, to pull yeah, off. Sure. But we managed, yeah, we managed it, and we managed to come up with this principle that... Given uh, just a few, I can't remember the numbers. Susan has the numbers done better than I do, but a, a few cases was able to answer all the cases within that particular domain and those duties correctly. So we said we were on the right yeah. track. But it was so difficult to try to, to hand tool this yeah. thing uh, step by step that we needed a tool, and that's where we started. We got another grant from NSF to build what we call Geneth. Uh, this tool that allows us to do the kinds of things that we were doing by hand, but in a much now in a much grander sense. If if I can interrupt mm. here, I think that people would be interested in exactly how we represent ethics, and it occurred to me actually after a couple of years working on this that um, the important thing that we have to establish first is the ethically relevant features of. A dilemma that we might encounter. Right. Yeah. So they may be such things as causes harm, you know, leads to good, um, respects the autonomy of the patient if we're in the area of biomedical ethics. Yeah. And then it occurred to me that hooking this up with prima facie duties, so for every ethically relevant feature, it's either something which we want to maximize or minimize. Mm -hmm. So good consequences is something that we want to maximize. Harm is something we want to minimize. And so we, you know, we're able to tease out these um, prima facie duties and then work on the problem of how to juggle, how to resolve conflicts among them. Mm. Now, we also had to represent each one in terms of a number, of course, if we're talking about a machine. Yep. And... One of the misconceptions I think people have is that we would have to numerically represent exactly how much good or harm, you know, 102 versus 96 or something like yes. this, which, of course, would be impossible. But from the ethicist perspective, we only have to represent differences in terms of the intensity of the features and duties involved um, insofar as it makes a difference ethically. And so we found, for the most part so far in, in our work, just having a <clears throat> um, somewhat um, satisfies or violates versus, you know, uh, um, sorry, I hit the microphone, versus, uh, give me the greatly. word, Michael, greatly <laughs> satisfies or violates a duty that that's about all we need. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you, you can compress yeah. that information down because it's too it, unwieldy. It, it, exactly. Yeah. Right. So so we only expand the numbers which represent the intensity of the satisfaction or violation when it's needed. So if a new case is given that is a case where um, we can't represent 
the difference between this case and an earlier case. Uh, it may very well be because we need a wider range of intensity. Um, or mm. it could be, and this was something I found in earlier research with students on my end, there may be um, an ethically relevant feature we haven't hit on yet that's in this case and was not in the earlier case, yep. and a new prima facie duty. But these prima facie duties do end up being within a particular domain, limited enough to work with. So that's another thing you, you may think, oh, we're just going to have thousands of duties. Yep. But that's really not the case in terms of what's ethically relevant. Yeah, because you have to remember what the what the domain is. I mean, we're talking about uh, machines, autonomous autonomous machines, um, working with human beings in some fairly benign uh, situation. Mm. But that said, every we believe every in, every interaction that the, this machine has with a human being does have some sort of ethical ramification, and not even interaction. So whether it should go back and charge itself or not. Mm. Uh, is yeah. ethically significant because if it has an important task coming up and it's low on power, then it may need to make that a very high priority. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or, or showing misinformation or um, not showing information or, you know, all these different things, I guess. I can't think of anything that the robot does that doesn't mm. have some sort of ethical ramification because if you're if it's doing something, it's not doing something else. Right. At the very least. And, and, and so, yes. so that that really is the bottom line. And when you start thinking of it that way, instead of the way people push these things to, well, how is this going to apply to abortion? Or I mean, <laughs> this is not really our, our task. Yes, yeah, right? Right. We're, we're doing something much much more constrained. And, and, it may, and I do believe that it has, it does have, um, rel it is rel relative. Yes, it does relate. There we go. It does relate yes, yeah. to the larger larger notion of ethics. But we start someplace where we can get some traction, you know, so that we don't have a startup that fails. <laughs> right? Yes, yes, sure. Yeah. So so the bottom line is right now where we stand after we've 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 had this tool that allows us to to build these much more complex um principles with many more features and many more uh, intensities and, and to, to be able to take many more cases because it's not hand-tooled any longer. We now have gotten to the point where we have a principle that we are using to control all the behaviors of a uh, robot in an elder care situation. Right. That's our most current work. Mm. And uh, we're working with a roboticist, Vincent Berenz, at uh, the Max Planck Institute, who is, um, at the, as we speak, finalizing these these behaviors for the robot, and we're we're waited with bated, waiting with bated breath to see that what we did in simulation, which was actually control a bunch of dots that yeah. were being con being controlled by the same robot uh, operating system, but controlling them, controlling the, this robot dot in its robot dot situation uh, with an ethical principle for all of its duties. We're now at the point within days of having an actual robot do it on a table, yep. the now robot, and then after that we have a uh, Pal Tiago robot that's a floor-based um, on wheels, uh, but it's much more uh, capable than the, the now robot and tried to put him in the lab. And then if we can find somebody who uh, will take on the, the uh, research board responsibility so that if we don't 
they will tell us what to do. We poke. We don't want to poke somebody's eye out. Sure. Moving it into an el- an elder care uh, facility and testing it out there as well. Amazing, yes. great. I'd like to men- I'd like to mention one other point um, that I think is important, and that is that uh, ethics is not about only what we ought not to do. And I think people who've thought about ethics in connection with machines, people actually creating them, have only gone that far, trying to block certain behavior. Uh, But really, ethics is about what you ought to do in any situation, not just what you ought not to do. And this is why any action of a robot that is interacting with human beings uh, has, you know, ethical uh, dimensions to it. That, that that all came to me when I was trying. When we first started out, and I was trying to figure out when should the system kick in. Yeah. When do I know I'm in an ethical situation? And I, re- as I sat there and thought about it, I said, I don't know. And then I realized I always am. Yeah. The, the, yeah, you know, right. It's always there, and and that was an epiphany. So you should be controlling or have some say in all the actions of some sort of system. It's, it, right. it should it. It drive it drives the be, the entire behavior of the robot at this point. That's yes. what we're doing. Yeah, yeah. Right. So it's almost like a um, it's instead of being a a thing to add in afterwards, it's a thing which is almost is the brain and and represents yeah, the the action. Absolutely, yeah. it is. It's the it's the it's the uh, uh, behavior control system right from the right from the beginning. Yep. If you if you don't do that, then it's you have to sort of undo everything and start asking yourself questions like, you know, how, how what's what are the ethically relevant features involved here in this mm, particular yeah. action, and 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 it, be, and it becomes very difficult in an ad hoc way to to to, to determine what you're supposed to do in, in all these situations, which is why we we advocate a principle. Okay, why it's it's good that we have a principle um, and also something else Michael has built into the way we, we go about doing this work, um, and that is the machine can justify its behavior at any time, and we think that is really important. If somebody isn't sure that the machine did the right thing, okay, well, Here's the principle guiding the behavior and the clause of that principle mm-hmm. that led to this particular decision and the cases that were used to um, come up with this particular clause of the principle. So we can go back to those cases and see, oh, yeah, I, I, I now see why this is what the machine should do in this particular case. Yeah. Or maybe there's, we're not happy with that case and we want to introduce new cases. Because I think this um, is a, it a bit of, well, like you were saying previously, it's a bit of a departure, that the work that you're doing, from a more data-centric view that some people might have of deriving ethics from, from the data. What you're doing, if, you, if I'm not getting this wrong, is um, it's more of a utilitarian equation that you're building in, which... And then you can interrogate because you've got this equation. You you've you run it um, at that particular it, point. It's in time. actually, it's yes. It's it's actually a logical statement. Yeah. It's a it's a predicate that return that you you give it to. I mean, at the, at the bottom line, you give it two actions. Mm-hmm. You say, is this action is this action in this particular situation? And, then, and the situation is all um, I, again. I can't. There's just too much detail. You, a couple of actions, and you say, is this action ethically preferable to this action? Yeah. And you run it through the predicate, and it returns true or it returns false. 
It's just that simple. Yeah. But what's interesting, what's interesting, what what dawned on me when I had such a such a, 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 a piece of code that would do that thing, I realized I had the underlying uh, comparative uh, predicate required to sort actions, and that's when I realized we really could use this to drive behavior. So what happens is you have all the possible actions that a robot can do yep. set there. You you. Uh, you get the data from the sensors from the robot, and you fill up for each of the actions all of the uh, values uh, for how it is that particular action is satisfying or violating uh, all the all the possible duties that this robot's involved. Yeah. So you get this big matrix full of numbers, uh, but and so each each action is actually represented by a, a list of numbers having to do with these satisfaction violation values. Then you use this the principle to go through that list of actions represented like that, returning true and false as to which one is ethically preferable to the next, and you can sort the actions in, in, in order of ethical preference, take the top one, do it, and that that happens one hundred every hundred. I'm sorry, hundred times a second yeah. is what goes on. So that if the if the situation changes and the robot's in the middle of doing something with with Vincent's magical uh, control system that allows interruptible behavior like that, we uh, can stop what we're doing and continue on doing starting something else. And uh, again, hundreds of times a second, or a hundred times a second rather. And then uh, when we're done doing that, we can come back to where we were before and continue on what, what which was ethically uh, preferable the last time we were we picked our action to do. So it was it was uh, uh, again another epiphany to realize that you could you could sort actions to choose the the, the ethically preferable action at any given any given moment, and that could be used to drive all the behaviors of the robot. Yeah, and this is exactly what I was looking for. <laughs> um, to function as a decision procedure when using a multiple prima facie duty approach um, to ethics. So I've been very happy. And I do think this is another thing that hasn't been mentioned yet, that we are going to uh, advance the field of ethics with this work. Yes, sure. Okay, right. We're going to come up with um, principles that have never been stated before because keeping in mind so much data was sort of impossible for 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 the human being alone. Um, we're also going to uh, settle on the ethically relevant features that is the ultimate linchpin of, of this whole approach. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm hoping because of this new perspective of thinking about how machines should treat us, we are going to come up with some... Um, uh, principles of ethics uh, that I think at least all rational people should be able to accept. Yes, yes. So you and, and I've argued that there, yeah, that there is a sort of economic thing that could be driving this as well. So, as somebody who's attempted to to actually start up a business, uh, because businesses these days tend to be uh, global, right? Very few are just centered in one particular culture and not interested in how it would apply to anyone else. So because of the global aspect of the development of machines, uh, they're going to want some 
you know, principles of ethics that people worldwide can accept. And this is why this work, I think, is really important and could lead to that. Yeah, I mean, that's super interesting. It's, it's actually come up uh, quite a few times um, during the podcast um, that the the work that, that um, yourselves and others are doing could, you might find that there are universalities which keep crum- uh, right. cropping up in your your systems or your algorithms that actually um, are distinct and, and you can write them down in there, um, things which... Um, you know, like you were saying before, things that we should be doing <laughs> or, or almost morals that are um, inherent in the system, which we can't necessarily see. And one last thing that th- this is my little pie in the sky dream of this work. I think that human beings interacting with machines that behave in an uh, ethically proper way yep. um, can maybe learn to become more ethical themselves. I, I envision in particular robots like Little Now interacting with young children and teaching them some basic values. Maybe we'll head off some of the terrible behavior that adult humans have exhibited in our history. Who knows? <laughs> yes, well, hopefully um, robots will have less individuality to drive them, I, I think, which is, can only be a good thing. Yes, in my opinion. If, if what you mean by that is biases yes, of, yeah. of individuals, yeah, yes, yeah. biases of uh, doing drugs and drinking and having nepotism and all these sorts of things, which right, um, right, won't necessarily feature. I'm hoping or feature less. Um, do you think exactly? That, I, I mean, uh, I could talk to you guys about this for hours. Have you got a, a, a few more questions in you? <laughs> <laughs> um, how, how are we doing for time? Yeah, we're fine. Okay, so we cool. Break into our lunch. Uh, no. <laughs> yeah, sorry, no, I won't do that. Um, no, we're, no, we're fine. We're it's fine. it's early. Okay, great. Um, um, yeah, so I've got, like I said, I've got lots, lots, and lots of questions. Um, one of the things uh, which struck me there is uh, you, you guys are obviously um, make it sound easy, and um, it must have been a lot of work and um, to to get to the point oh, you're yes. at now. Um, so it sounds uh, fantastic and and really interesting and. Well, but that- but that was the whole thing originally was like we better get started now yeah. even though at at first we were looked upon it's it's odd now you couldn't find anybody doing any of this research you couldn't find conferences who were interested in it you couldn't talk to ai people without them looking at rolling their eyes and saying it was unnecessary yeah that's sure. how that was what we we faced originally you know, so but and but we are now at the point that we're actually doing this, and we're at the point where I thought we would be actually sooner than I thought, where it is necessary and it is important, and people do see it, and we're we're hoping that we're that these answers are going to help uh, stave off and the Luddite response to AI and try to shut down the entire project because they're they're afraid of the uh, the terrible possible consequences. Maybe maybe the ethics will help quell that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, do you think, I mean, um, you've probably already answered this question, but I, I guess you, you don't read too much into things like um, that are being said from Elon Musk or Stephen Hawking about the existential risk of AI and uh, our future? 
Well, I mean, let's let's be let's be clear. I mean, nobody really knows what's going to happen with all this. I mean, the the, the future remains to be seen. Yeah. But it it's unfortunate that that in a time if <laughs> where there's so much positive that could happen to to shut down because of this um, nebulous possible future world um, um, negative. That it 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 seems unnecessarily alarmist. I, I I'll give it I'll give it that unnecessarily and, alarmist. And I have right. a perspective. Again, I think mm. it comes back to this uh, social science perspective that people think that we're going to be developing machines that mimic humans, human behavior. Well, we don't want to do that because you've mentioned some of the things that humans have done. Uh, They've behaved very badly. So we don't want to build into these machines the sort of qualities that uh, are very destructive in humans and that may have evolved uh, as a result of natural selection to make sure that we win out over other forms of life. So, you know, they seem to what they're ultimately worried about, from my perspective, is that they will be so selfish that they will promote their interests over human interests. Well, why would we build selfishness into machines? We certainly shouldn't do that. Yeah, I mean, so I, um, if, if yeah, that's that's my project I've been working on at the moment uh, to make uh, ethically malign, uh, self-serving uh, robots, which. Uh, only reproduce, and uh, that's all. That's all they do. This is your project. Yes. This is your project. What, what did you say? Say this. <laughs> you... No, I'm obviously kidding. <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> oh, okay. Yes, a little sarcasm there. Yes, that's the English sarcasm coming through. Oh, there. I get it. I yeah, get it. but I th- yeah, well, yeah. So, so I mean, we we want to we want to proceed with care. Yes. I think that yeah. that's that's fair. I think all technologies are proceed with care. We've yeah. we've seen many examples where you 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 rush forward before the ethics are clear, and you mm-hmm. and you pay for that. Well, we're saying let's not rush forward. Let's only put machines where the ethics is clear and and make sure that they 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 are well uh, and the machines themselves are well informed with those ethics. Yeah, do you think this is? Um, I mean, some of the work that you've been doing is purely uh, applicable to autonomous systems, which have lots of feature, like you were saying with this feature set. So have larger feature sets. So you might find this ethical programming in a robot, but you may not find it in a um, diagnostic algorithm uh, for doctors, or, or you might not find it in a um, um, image recognition system, for example. Uh, where does the kind of um, ethics I, start coming in? I'm not sh- Yeah. I'm not sure I understand well, what you're saying, but wait, I, I ha- if, I okay, hey. if <laughs> you're wondering about whether... Um, ordinary people or people in specialized positions that that use machines would um, realize what the ethically relevant features are and make sure that they take them into account, I I think that they don't necessarily. And again, this is why I think we want ethicists involved in this project, Mm. because ethicists are able to uh, imagine we we've been trained to think about possible um, actions and possible situations that could result if we adopt a particular principle. 
and I don't think ordinary people have been trained to do this. So, so I'm hopeful that we will uh, be able to see the ethically relevant features and make sure that they're taken into account over, say, um, you know, somebody who, who's just an engineer who's uh, creating a particular machine. I, I think I, I understand your question. I mm. think it has more to do with w- what kinds of systems do, you, do, do we believe require ethical um, guidance? Yes, and sure. And it, it's the, right, and there, there's an easy answer to that. It just comes down to the, the systems that, that have um, effect on humans. And if you think about it, I think they all do. You know, I think I'm answering the question as I go along here. Mm-hmm. Yep. That even even this, we we've been invited to a, a number of meetings uh, for Internet Two. That's all about uh, Internet of Things, and and mm-hmm. they're all very interested in even in their small little sensors that are that are being placed around around the uh, world or the environment that they are behaving in an ethically appropriate way. It, they may be simpler. It may be because if, if it's simpler behavior, you may be able to hardwire in the one or two ethically relevant features it deals with and have it balance that without having to have this grand, um, huge principle that we need for a, a fully autonomous system. Yeah. But if it has any kind of interaction with a human being in which it can negatively or positively affect that human being's life, well, I think ethics are involved. And so I think the answer to your question is I think everything is going to have to have that basic control. Mm. And I like when you just said, Michael, if it has an effect on humans, it doesn't necessarily have to interact with humans. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think that's a really good point that I hadn't fully appreciated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, if you took this to the nth degree, you can, could, can you can you um, can you name a system that doesn't have an effect on a human? <laughs> that's why that's why we build them. Yeah. You know, even in the indirect effect. I mean, if you these the. Uh, 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 satellite uh, going around Saturn and about to crash in and taking photographs, that has gr- grand effect for, for humanity, you know. And, yeah. and I'm not sure what the ethics are involved in that. I have no idea. But it just stri- strikes me that uh, we don't build things that that have zero effect upon us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, um, as a builder of things myself, um, I in my mind, I'm trying to kind of make a mental model of uh, what we're talking about. And um, you could almost take it to the nth degree and say, um, you're creating things. Um, and actually, they don't necessarily have to be sophisticated, AI driven systems um, to warrant some sort of um, tiny AI ethical system, which might be um, leveraging the um, the actions that it has. Let's let's take a, a Nest a thermostat, um, and it has exactly. That's what everybody, that's what everybody loves. Those yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, I find them slightly dubious yeah. myself, but um, it only uh, has. Well, I mean, in terms of in, in terms of talking about what ethics are may be involved. Here, yes. I've heard this before, but go ahead. Yeah. So I mean, uh, even just the ethics of um, showing people with UI or, or turning the firmstat on and off. I mean, you could hardwire certain interactions, um, but then actually when the system's operating on its on its own volition, you could have something running it to be more useful, be, like you're saying, be, be a better system almost instead of a reactive, um, do the best in the worst case scenario system, which is, uh-huh. which is quite That's, an interesting concept. Yeah. Yeah, but and it's but it's it's just sort of like being baked as we speak. <laughs> mm. Yeah, 
Cool. Um, so I've got um, two more questions, uh, which I usually ask all my interviewees. Uh, in the future, what are you most um, excited about um, coming up on the horizon, whether it's to do with some of the work you're doing or some of the work that you're seeing um, from other people? Uh, and what are the things that um, are discouraging or, or scarier on the horizon coming up? I I think it is a bit scary. I have that one more readily at yes, hand right. than the positive. A bit scary that AI seems to have been taken over by big data. Um, it was interesting to note that there were, I saw one symposium that was saying we want non-big data submissions. Mm. It, it, it's, it, it has that same quality. That, that, you know, it's a bit... It, it is not, like I said before, the sil- a silver bullet for all of AI. It's not going to solve all the problems. It's going to solve some interesting ones that it already has. Yeah. So I'm a little concerned that that is is taking over and 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 to the point where it's hard to get anything else published. It's hard to get anything else funded. Yeah. It's hard to get any any jobs in them, which is going to put put a. a um, uh, d- uh, damper or break, uh, slow down progress in other parts of AI, which may not be as flashy or have as grand results as quickly, but are still important if you're really talking about a full AI project. So that's that's one of my concerns about the, the, where we stand now, where we might head. Yeah. A, on on a on a positive note, it, it strikes me that. I'll, I'll give you my my pie in the sky, and it's pretty science fictiony, okay. and it's and I don't even fully know understand what I'm talking about when I say it, but it's nonetheless what drives me in some ways to to do this research at all, and it has to do with the concept that this planet does not last forever, that we can if we want to have some portion of us survive, we need to get off the planet. But I'm not sure that the, the, the our metabolisms, the body that happens, they're so tied to this planet, can really exist out anywhere else. And I think that AI might prove to be the thing that is going, the, the vehicle, the vessel that is going to be able to permit what I consider the, the most important, the, the grandest thing that evolution has produced, and that's this, this consciousness, this intelligence that we have. And if we can, if we can somehow port that in, in, in all, its, all its glories and warts into some, some sort of system and move that from the planet, we sort of in the same way that they moved uh, data off the planet um, decades ago. Yeah. And and have that out. I think th- th- there's there, somehow AI can 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 be the uh, uh, a panacea, or, or, or that's the wrong word. It can be uh, a, a, the savior of the of uh, what I think is probably the most important thing that that we have to offer to the rest of the universe, whatever that even means. Mm-hmm. So it's very science fiction. Yeah. But it's but it's but it's very hopeful in my mind that somehow that that AI has that that quality of, 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 of capability to it. Yeah. And, and from the uh, perspective of an ethicist, I really loved an idea that I heard early on in our work at a conference that we attended, and I had him include something in our book, and I'm just forgetting his name. But he says we have the, he said we have the opportunity to create humans 2.0. Mm. 
to create entities that have all the positive qualities of human beings while eliminating the negative ones. His, his name is Eric Dietrich. Is that being That's right? right. Eric Dietrich. And I, I love that idea. And I, I think w- that we need good role models for how we ought to behave, and we have a chance to create them. Great. Uh, but no, no negatives from you, Susan. Uh, well... <laughs> <laughs> Don't get her. Don't okay, get her sorry, going. Going on that, <laughs> the negatives are that, um, as as Michael says, people in the AI community just don't seem to appreciate what we're doing at all. Right. They they either reject ethics altogether, um, or you know they they adopt this social science perspective that, well, to the extent to which we have values at all, it's got to be just trying to capture the values people happen to have, Mm. even if they're horrible. Uh, So I get discouraged because there are so few ethicists involved in this work or appreciators of what people have have done in the field of ethics. Well, hopefully you've come to the right place. Uh, good. Yeah. Um, well, thank you very much for um, all of your time. Um, it's been almost um, 50 odd minutes now. So thank you very yeah. much for well, sitting down with me and, and um, doing this podcast. It's been great fun. Yes, it's been a wonderful discussion, better than a lot that we've had. We really appreciate. <laughs> That's true. Yes, the, the questions you've asked and the interaction that, you know, has has brought out what I think is important about our work. So thank you so much. Thank you. Um, And uh, just one last thing to leave uh, the listeners uh, with. If people want to find out about you, um, follow you, interact with you, how can they do that? www.machineethics.com.